0: amen there is nothing that you are battling in your life that he has not already overcome Ah, he's that good he's that god he is so powerful and he has something for us this morning i won't have you sit down let's just go straight into the word today we are going to talk about it is for freedom stay up we're going to read the passage of scripture really quick you're like but we're so tired somebody hand out the cookies Do you know how many heads just turn toward the back? Here we go. Let's get into the word. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body." In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Father, I thank you so much that your word always hits where we are sitting. I thank you, Father, for the way that your word rushes in to meet us full force. Father, I'm asking for a work of the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, I thank you that you are a bondage-breaking God. I thank you, Father, that you still set captives free. I thank you, Father, that you still have the answers. I thank you, Father, that none have gone so far that your arm will not reach them today. So, Father, we submit ourselves to the Word of God. We come under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and we expect chains to fall off today, Father God, because of who you are, Father, our mighty God. So, Father, let everything that is of me be forgotten, but everything that is of you stand and produce fruit in the lives of your girls and your boys today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you ready to just push just a little bit in the Spirit? God, I believe, has something special for us this morning. He always has something special for us this morning. You're probably going to find me talking quite a bit over to the, to, toward the young people today. And if you consider yourself young, you might want to... <laughs> I see some older people shoving kids out of the way. Um, a couple of months ago or several weeks ago, I had an experience that really impacted me. And um, it was just a, one of those kind of things where you n- know God is speaking. And it was so strong within me that I, I contacted Pastor Ronnie and said, can I please teach this? Because it's actually part of a message that I brought about seven or eight years ago. And I don't normally like to do that. I like to bring in a fresh word. But as I was praying about it, I said, Lord, I really want to take fresh bread into the house. And, and he said, well, they always brought fresh bread into the house, but it was made with the same recipe. So I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, so if you've heard the stories, allow God to keep your heart open to still hear them, Okay. About a few weeks ago, I encountered a young woman from our congregation. And um, I was at a home, and this girl came in, and she used to be an active part of our... Golly, I did this in the first service. She was a very active part of our body, very active part of the youth department. And when she walked into the room, I felt like someone had just punched me in the stomach. Because the little girl that we used to see here wasn't the girl that walked into the room. The girl that walked into the room was so weighted, so weighted, her countenance had changed. There was a a heaviness to her. And you could tell, I'm just going to be honest, you could tell by looking at her that she had had a really rough night the night before. Probably still coming out of the effects of some of that. And... In my spirit, I heard the Lord, "Oh my God, what happened to this child?" And all of the while I'm trying to keep my face straight, I'm trying to maintain, because I don't want her to see how upset I am, because all I want her to see is that I love her. And I said, "God, what happened to this child?" And I felt the Holy Spirit just speak to my heart and said, "She's wearing the weights of the world." Wearing them, her shoulders were slumped. She wouldn't look me in the eye. Nothing about her was the little girl that, or the teenager that used to sit here among us. And so I'm, I'm being upbeat and I'm trying to love on her. And I'm thinking the weight of the world. And then the Lord took me to Hebrews and He said, "You know, I've told you to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets you." And she had just, it had just clothed her like a garment, this heaviness, this weightiness, and. I said, God, what can I do? know? No, at first I said, how did this happen? And he spoke to my spirit and he said, gradually. And I said, God, what can I do for her? He said, you love her and you pray for her. You intercede for her. And about that time, some of our girls' faces, some of our kids' faces, I saw Ariel Asher, I saw Chelsea Smith, I saw uh, Jacob Norris. I saw Damien. I saw their little faces. I saw Maeve. and, And I said, God, I don't ever want them to go through this. I never want to see them like this. I never want to see them in that condition. I never want to see them broken and wearing this weight. I said, God, what can I do? And he said, you teach them. And you tell them. You let them know. And so that's what I've come today to do. Because, guys, I don't ever want you to be that weighted I don't want you to ever carry those burdens and so what I've come to do today is tell you how that happens I want to talk to you about how that happens and while I am going to address the kids I don't for one minute think that everybody in this room is unbound regardless of age because see we all have our own bondages (laughs) We have our own issues, and, and, and to be honest about it, theirs are a whole lot easier to remove because theirs aren't as deep-seated. And they haven't been playing that game for as long as we have. So as I'm sharing this, I want you to understand this is not just for them. It is for you guys because I don't want you ever to carry that burden, but it's for us too as a body because, see, you were not created. You were not destined to be depressed You weren't created to be an addict. You weren't, God didn't put in you anything that was going to tear you down and destroy you. God created you beautifully. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has equipped you for anything that the enemy would throw at you. But there are some things, there are some safeguards, there are some things that we need to place in our life in order for the enemy to not grab hold of you. Because, see, what's happened is that we have done a grave injustice to a lot of our kids and to some of our adults because we've stopped teaching that they have an enemy. We tell them all about God which is wonderful, and if we can focus on God, that's what we want, and we never want to give the enemy any glory for what he's doing. But we also don't want them to go out into the world as prey. Because, see, I have kids that I sit with, and they're struggling with addiction, or they're struggling with uh, pornography, or they're struggling with whatever, and they think something's wrong with them. They don't understand that they have a very real enemy, They don't understand that there's a battle going on for their soul. You don't understand there's not anything wrong with you. There's not anything wrong with you. And this battle that you're fighting, you're not fighting against a pill. You're not fighting against a bottle. You're not fighting against a friend. You are fighting a spiritual battle. And you can't win a spiritual battle with flesh tools. You can't do it. And so I've come today to tell you that... I, see, the enemy, he's smart. He's not patient. But he's smart. And he's smart enough to lay a trap. He's smart enough to scheme and to plan. he does, He's not patient by any means. But he will lie in wait. He will set you up. And he will come at you at increments. See... He knows as a child of light that he's not going to come and go, Brad, go rob a bank today, okay? And Brad's going to go, oh, that sounds like a great idea. No, he's going to do it in increments. He's going to start young with a kid thinking that it's okay to take something that doesn't belong to them. And then as a teenager to steal something that doesn't belong to them, I can't afford that makeup, so I'm just going to go get that makeup. I'll just slide it in my pocket. He starts in increments. See, the enemy moves in increments. He gets a foothold and then he begins to progress. And he is never satisfied with just a little bit. Understand that a foothold, the enemy, sin is progressive. You don't sin today and then all of a sudden sin diminishes You know, six weeks from now, it's like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. Sin is progressive. Unless it is dealt with, unless it is confessed to God, sin is progressive. There's always a lust for more in that. And that's because the enemy is progressive. The enemy takes small incremental steps and begins to move. And he conquers us. And we look and go, what happened? What happened? One of the most dangerous um, sentences I believe you can ever hear come out of a Christian's mouth is, Oh, I would never do that. Really? Really because in the middle of that is not only it's ignorant because we're ignorant of the enemy's schemes if we think there's anything that can't be thrown at us. But beyond that, within that statement, oh, I would never do that, is the judgment of what they did. And we can't afford to be that arrogant. Now, we can be confident in Christ. But we can't afford to be arrogant in our own ability to overcome what the enemy has laid in our path, the schemes that he sets up. So I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about how that happens. And we see how this happens in the passage of Scripture that we just read. We see how the enemy begins to get a foothold in our life. And the goal is never the foothold. The foothold foothold is to get you to a stronghold. Okay, two different levels In a foothold, it says a foothold is a position that is usable as a base for advance. Okay? When the enemy has a foothold in your life, when he begins to to just mess with you a little bit and you begin to walk in disobedience a little bit, he gets a foothold in your life. Best way I can explain that is my son Aaron was a a rock climber. I say was because he stopped when he started paying for his own medical insurance. But he was a rock climber, and there was not a rock face. There was not a mountain. I mean, he's, he's calling us from the top of the mountain of Pikes Peak and calling I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, because if I encounter a rock wall or a mountain, I'm going to map quest it and go around it. <laughs> if he encounters a wall or a, a rock face, he's reaching in the back for his ropes and his chalk you know, devising a plan, because see if Aaron can get one foot, if he can get one toe on that side of that mountain, it's a position for him to get a hand. And then he'll get another hand, and then he'll find another one. Spider-Man has nothing on this boy. And he does it in such a way that he's so flat against the wall that unless you have an outside perspective, you're not going to see it. You know, people, you, you, you've got to be able to see, and that's what the enemy does. It's progressive. He finds a place to plant a toe, and you don't notice the, that he has planted that toe. And then he plants another foot, and he begins to ascend. And before you know it, he's up your wall, because the thing that he's not satisfied, Aaron, his goal is not to hang on the side of the mountain. It is to plant two feet firmly on the top. And that is exactly what the enemy has in mind for you guys. That's what he has in mind for us. He's not satisfied with halfway. He's heading for a stronghold. And see, while a foothold is a position that is usable as a base for further advance, a stronghold, by definition, is a well-fortified place. It has now been dominated. And you can tell the difference between the two. You can tell a difference in your life. And you can tell the difference in the lives of others if they're just dealing with a foothold or a stronghold. We're going to get into that a little bit. But guys, let me just give you a progression that we find in the Word where the enemy tries to get a foothold in your life. The scripture that we just read talks about don't let the, the sun go down on your anger. We've all read that. Do not give the enemy a foothold. But there's a little and before there. And do not give the enemy a foothold. I always thought if I wasn't an angry person, anger's not my issue. I've got—I'm sure y'all could list all of mine, but anger's not my issue. So I do not and I don't fight. We, you know, not that we didn't in the early years. Boy, could we talk. Anyway. But we don't. That's not our issue. And so somehow I thought if we're going to bed peaceably and we're happy and I'm not fighting with people, then I don't have a stronghold in my life. But see, that passage of Scripture is not just about uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That passage of Scripture, the, the verses, the numbers were not there before. And that passage of Scripture actually goes back up to verse 17. And it's the end of a progression. It's the end of a list that is laid out in that particular chapter. And the, verse 17, when it says, And do not get and it's in addition to, do not give the enemy a foothold," it takes you back to verse 17. And verse 17 is the beginning of this progression. And this is what's important, guys. In the beginning of the pr- progression, it says, um, "I would that you uh, don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking." I'm going to paraphrase, don't live like the Gentiles in futile thinking. Their understanding has been darkened because of the hardening of their hearts. They have stopped being sensitive to God. They've given over to sensuality, which is the base nature. And now they are stuck in a continual lust for more. That's the progression that's given in Scripture. And at the beginning, it's a disobedience. It's a foothold. At the end, it's lust. And lust is a stronghold. And I'm not just talking about sexual sin here. But I just want to go through this with you guys so you can begin to uh, pay attention to some of these things. The very first thing that we find is that you're not supposed to live in the futility of your thinking. and It goes on to talk about you start ignoring God. The first step in a progression of a strong, of a foothold is you stop listening to God. You will never have a foothold in your life, a stronghold in your life that God did not first say, stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. That conviction of the Holy Spirit that goes, don't go to that party. You know what's going to happen at that party. You know, don't go. And you're like, oh, it's just a party. All of my friends are going, so I'm going to go. Or he says, don't work late again tonight. But but I I need the overtime and I'm just going to work with my secretary and it'll be fine. We need the money. But God says, don't do it. Don't smoke it. Don't drink it. Don't spend it. And, you know, all of these things. And we we override the sense of the Holy Spirit saying, stop, stop, stop. And we just push it to the side. That's the first step, guys. That's a toehold. That's He's starting to climb. If you're disobeying, if you're rebelling against the the unction of the Holy Spirit in your life, he's beginning to climb. The second thing in that progression, it says that you stop listening to God. The second thing that it says is that your heart becomes hard by the hardening of their hearts. Your heart becomes hard and you begin to get cynical about the things of God. You begin to get a little cold and a little distant and where you used to stay in fellowship and you used to want to be there on Wednesday night and you used to want to get in the presence of God. You don't feel that anymore. You become cynical. It's like, oh, that's not real. That's just church. I'm fine. I can do this at home. And you begin to, to get cold in your spirits and you're not responding to God. That scripture. The third thing it says is that you become insensitive to the spirit. You become insensitive to the things of God. When you start becoming insensitive to the things of God, you can walk in the back door of a sanctuary and it be absolutely filled with the presence of God. And you're like, there's no God there. You don't know because you can't feel him anymore. You can't sense His presence anymore. You stopped listening to Him. You closed your heart against His instruction. And now you don't feel His presence, which is just another confirmation to you that it's not real. So your heart is hard. You can't sense His presence. And that's three steps in the progression, guys. I don't know if any of you are there. I don't know if any of you have walked in disobedience. You've stopped listening to the Holy Spirit and His instruction. But I, I, I guarantee you that if that has happened, your heart is starting to get hard against his instruction and you're becoming less and less sensitive to the unctions of the Holy Spirit. What happens to me is pretty interesting to me. It says when we lose our sensitivity to God, according to this passage of scripture that we just read, when we lose our sensitivity to God, we now give over to a sensuality, which is the base nature See, God has all of these wonderful gifts and things for us. The, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the blessings of God. Well, he has those, but the enemy has a counterfeit for each and every one of those. He, you know, that make us think we're okay. But this sensuality is a giving over to the base nature, and it means that you are now preoccupied with your feelings, your desires, your appetites. It used to be about what God wanted, now it's about what you want. Oh, I just want, I just want this, and, and that would be so good. And, and this is the, the point in time where you start self-medicating. This is the point in time where alcohol can become an issue or drugs can become an issue or whatever it was that you battled all of this time starts to rise up because you know what? You need comfort, and you can't find it in God? And so you start looking other places for it. This sensuality. You give over to just one kiss. Just one kiss. Just one drink. Just one check. And the enemy is climbing in your life. when When you begin to get ruled by your senses, when the thing that you ask yourself is, do I want to do this? that's not good. It should be, should, should I do this? Is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? We don't ask ourselves that anymore. We only ask ourselves, is that something I really want to do? Well, probably not. Not if it costs us anything. It requires us to do something beyond. But when you start giving over to that, and then it says the final set step in that is lust. And lust while it does have the the one connotation to it, lust is a continual hunger and thirst for more. You're never satisfied. And whatever it might be, um, I was talking with Pastor Ronnie in between services. And, and we were talking about, you know, you see so much fear in people. Or you see older people that are struggling with greed or struggling with balance in their life. And, and um, you just watch them begin to move toward a cliff's edge. And and you see it, and it's going, and and they're oblivious to it. But see, that's the progression. That's what the enemy will use. Stop listening. Let your heart get a little bit hard. Stop feeling his presence. Stop responding to him in the spirit. Then you start moving into sensuality, and then you're given over to lust. See, it's a big difference, guys. When, when you have a foothold, when the enemy has a foothold in your life, it, the, the biggest indicator in whether or not you are struggling with a foothold or a stronghold is when you have a foothold, when the enemy has a foothold in your life, when he's starting to climb, there's this hope in you. There's this hope that goes has, has the strength to go and pray about it again. God... If you would just set me free. God, I know I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to be caught here. I didn't, this was never what I intended to do. And you can still see yourself free. You can still see that God can deliver you from this thing. As bound as you might be, as much as going on in your life, you can still, there's this hope in it. If that's the case, then it's still just a foothold. And the wonderful thing about a foothold, the Aaron has told me, when you're climbing a rock face, there's really no, no position that is secure when you're on the side of the mountain. You're only secure when you get to the top. And that's comforting to me, not for my son, but with the enemy, we can dislodge him. At any point, there is no secure position when he's just climbing. It's when he plants his feet. It's the difference between going out into your yard and trying to pull up this tiny sapling with little roots about like this or going trying to unearth an oak that has roots that run under your house and you are entrenched in that thing. That's the difference between a foothold and a stronghold. And while, while we always require the help of the Holy Spirit to, to get rid of a foothold, when it comes to a stronghold, you've got to have God you got to have God, and that's what I want to get to today because I'm under no illusions that there are no footholds or strongholds in this house. So what do you do? What if something I've said just now, what what if it's ringing in your spirit and you go, oh, that's me. Let me talk to you about what you need to do. Because it's one thing to tell you you have a problem. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's one thing to tell a bunch of people uh, that you have a a problem and then drop the mic. (laughs) No, I want to tell you how to get free. I want to tell you how to come out of this thing because you can. Because I have. Because I have. And we won't even, well, I guess we could get into them, but we won't. The book's coming out. No, it isn't. (laughs) I couldn't tell the truth. Sorry. Um, What happens if you know you're in a mess? What happens if you know you're in a mess? The very first thing you need to do is that you need to confess it. As children of light, you were not created to dwell in darkness. You were created to dispel the darkness. We are salt and light in the earth. And as long as the enemy can keep you in darkness, it's like the cockroach theory. I know y'all love this one. As long as the light's out, the man you turn on the light, and he just begins to run. You need to find somebody that you trust. And guys, this is hard. I know this is hard. And walking out of it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not for one minute going to say this is easy. It's not easy. But being bound is hard. and Getting free is hard. You get to choose the hard. You get to choose which one that you want to invest your time in. You want to invest in hiding that thing and staying bound for a long time? Or you want to go, whatever comes, comes. I'm getting out of this. See, the enemy hates that. And that's why some of you stay home when you're in a mess. That's why some of you separate yourself because you don't want anybody to read your mail. What if you happen to get near somebody who has some spiritual discernment? I didn't want to go to church when I was a teenager and messed up because I knew, I knew those ladies were going to read my mail on March 1st at 7.01 p.m. That's how I felt. They were going to be able to read my mail. So the enemy separates you and you become like that small calf at the back of the herd. Everybody else is running this way and there you are. You are prey. And, and, and you are, uh, your potential for being devoured is huge because you have separated yourself and that is his purpose. That shame, guys, shame is a silencer. Shame will steal your voice. You might know that God is good and God is faithful, but you are so ashamed of what you've done, you will not open your mouth to say so. I can't tell them about God because look at me. He steals your hope. You got to find somebody that you trust who has some spiritual authority that can pray with you that's not just going to go, oh, sorry, brother, sorry you fell into that. No, you need somebody who knows how to pray, somebody who needs to to grab hold of the horns of the altar and intercede on your behalf because you are in a, a death spiral. See, the enemy doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to kill you. (laughs) He doesn't want to just take something. He wants to destroy everything. And see, we don't talk about that anymore because that's not popular. But you need to know that he steals and he kills and he destroys. Those are his fingerprints. Anywhere you see destruction of that magnitude, anything you see somebody losing, every, everything in their life that God had established in their life, know that those are the fingerprints of your enemy. So you tell somebody. Be willing to go, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I never bounce back. I will not hide anymore. I will not bow anymore. Whatever you have for me on the other side of this fear, I'm going after. Because the enemy will bind you up in darkness, tell you everything everybody's going to think about you, how you're going to lose everything, and you are not the person that they thought, and these things run through your mind, and you become obsessed. Because the enemy never comes at you. It's it's always going to start in your mind. Tell You better tell somebody. Tell somebody. The second thing that you need to do is you need to allow hope to rise up again in your spirit. The word of God says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you bring that out into the light, right? Married, married to that moment in your life where you confess. I want you to know that God will meet you with hope right there. He will infuse you with hope of going, I'm going to come through this thing. Before you confessed it, you could not see your way out. But once you confessed it, you began to see the light. Amen? Amen. I'm just talking from personal experience, guys. I don't know exactly how God walked you through these things, but I'm telling you what he's done with me. And you begin to hope again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred. Once that's gone, you're sick. So the enemy takes that first. So now what? You've confessed your sin. You've confessed your fault. You've asked somebody to pray for you. Hope has started to rise up in you. Now what? The word tells us that the weapons we fight with are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We begin to walk in the word of God. We begin to combat the lies of the enemy with the word of God. Amen. He says, you are a failure. Your dad was an addict. Your grandfather was an addict. You will never be free. You will always, always be bound. And you take your spiritual writing tool and you erase that thing. And you say, no, I'm the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, you are going to show to be in the wrong. And you begin to confess those things. You begin to replace the lies with the truth of God. Amen? Because that's the weapon that you have. You have now that you've confessed now that hope is returned, now that you've grabbed onto the Word of God, understand that that communication that the enemy took from you in the first place, that you gave up, that unction of the Holy Spirit, that's going to return to you. You're going to be able to hear His voice say, no, stop, go this, go left, go right. Those things that were taken in the foothold, in the progression of the foothold, are now being restored to you. You become sensitive once again to the things of the Spirit. The sensuality, to the desire for those things that have held you bound start to lessen. But in order for you to get free, sometimes you got to fight. Sometimes you got to fight. I'm going to get the praise team to come up if they would. Sometimes you got to no, know pretty much all the time you got to fight. Yes, I understand that the battle belongs to the Lord. I get that. But we have to do battle ourselves too. We have to stand against this thing. It's not, if God tells us to do something, then we have to act on what he tells us to do. If he tells us let go of that friendship, then we let it go. That's a, an act of obedience to God, moving you toward freedom. If he says, don't have another conversation with that woman at your office, it's not, it's not harmless, then you don't do it. If you don't, all of the things he begins to do, because that's the way that we fight. And sometimes you got to fight. Amen? The Lord reminded me several years ago. Um, I know I shared this about seven years ago but it's on my spirit again, so I'm going to tell you, um, when my niece, who are we going to get go? yeah, we're probably going to go there, if that's okay, we'll go wherever we want, Hawaii, um, <laughs> when my niece Heather was three, my sister is a year younger than I, She is, and We had five children between us. We had five, four, three, two, and one-year-old. And it does sound like a countdown because it felt like one. Um, But when Heather was three, she had leukemia. And Angie would take her for treatments. And when Angie would take her for treatments, I would keep the four boys. Or the four boys would keep me. And she was always so upbeat, Angie, always, always, from the beginning, from the initial diagnosis, and this was back when they didn't have the victories in it like you do now. From the very beginning, she knew that God was going to deliver that baby. She knew that God was going to heal her. She just knew that. And so I counted on that. I counted on Angie being upbeat. And that night, it was about 9 o'clock, and I was sitting in the rocking chair, and I'd gotten the boys to bed, and... No, actually, they were really just in a room with the door shut. I'm not sure what they were doing. But I had gotten them settled, and I was in the rocking chair, and the front door opened, and Angie walked in, and she had Heather on her shoulder. And I knew when I looked at Angie that it was wrong. And I looked at her, and all she did was look at me, and she just kind of did this. And this woman, who was always so strong, she walked over... And she laid that baby in my arms, and I was like I said I was in the rocking chair, and I looked down at this little face, just so swollen from the zone, little red cheeks. She had lost all of her hair, and something rose up on the inside of me. And I looked at Heather and I said, "Baby, you gotta fight. Baby, you gotta fight." And as I begin to pray and I begin to speak the words of life over this child, and I looked across the couch and Angie, just tears are just running down her face. And I just, all I could do is say, fight, Heather. Fight. God has more for you on the other side of this. You better fight. And I just want to say to you today, guys, you better fight. You better fight because God has more for you on the other side of this that you can't even begin to see yet. You got to fight. Don't stay there. Don't allow the enemy to overtake you. You get free and you see what God has for you. Heather's 28 years old today. She is the most delightful young woman. She's married. She's Oh my gosh, she's rotten. But in the most wonderful way. Guys, don't miss what God has for you because the enemy says, no, this is where you're going to be stuck the rest of your life. You're not stuck. You're not stuck. You have a Father who delivers. Amen? So what we're going to do today, if you would stand, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot today. I'm not going to go, if you are the one who has a stronghold and you are really bound, would you come forward? I want you to come up. We're going to join together in the altar. We're going to sing. If you don't have a foothold or a stronghold in your life, I know that you know someone who does. I know that you're praying for somebody. I know that you're interceding for somebody. Can you all come down and we're going to sing this song and we're going to lift them up. We're just going to take up some space. Father, I thank you, God, that you have freedom. Freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Father, we're not going to allow ourselves to be enslaved by uh, this yoke of bondage again. So if that's you, if you know somebody, you love somebody who's bound. You love one of those teens that's not here anymore. One of our babies that isn't here anymore. Why want you come stand in the gap for them. And then the elders are going to come behind you. And they're going to pray for you. Go ahead, guys. Second verse. Second verse.